0: Sports Radio, 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting,
1: fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry.
0: All right, we're back. And remember, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you by Jack's Outdoor Gear, locations up and down the front range. If you're an outdoor enthusiast, haven't checked one out, just stop in and Kick the tires, you'll be pleasantly surprised. But let's go to the phones now. Joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Jim Hawkins. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Terry. How are you, sir? You know, I'm doing well, and we are well into the boating season. Although the cool weather, as hot as it seemed, the cool weather started a little later, and we had some cold water for quite a while. Some of the water temperatures are just now on the front range lakes, getting to where I would expect them to be. Of course, that's an issue in itself. boaters. But overall, there's a lot of boating goes on in Colorado and there's a limited surface water, but we try to have as much fun as we can. But unfortunately, this year has been just a little more tragic than other years, hasn't it?
2: It has. Unfortunately, uh, we've had 18 total drownings here in the state of Colorado already. Um, In 2020, uh, we had our most fatalities in the state of 34. And this year we're actually uh, tracking above those statistics this year. So we're just wanting to get the word out that uh, everybody to please be safe. The water is a safe and enjoyable place, but making sure that you're being a responsible boat owner and wearing your life jacket and not drinking and operating a boat are the two major priorities and messages that we're trying to get out this weekend. Let's
0: start with the personal flotation device or the life jackets. Um, With the life jackets and personal flotation devices available today, there really is no good argument to not wear one when you're on a boat because things can happen so quickly. Yet a huge percentage, whether it's from a boat, a shore, a kayak, a tube, a huge percentage involve people not having a a life jacket, don't they?
2: That's correct. Uh, You know, a lot of people think that if a boat accident is going to occur, Uh, that they'll be able to grab a life jacket quickly and put it on, and that's just not the case. You know, you only have a couple seconds uh, to react, and you're thrown in the water, and you might be disoriented. Um, But I really think you hit the nail on the head about life jackets. Uh, They're really comfortable. The technology has come a long ways. There's really no reason not to be wearing a life jacket when you're out on the water.
0: Well, and I can relate a personal experience. I've only been in the water once. That was out of a kayak. But I've had a lot of friends who have first of all, have been thrown out of their bass boat or their large fishing boat or their ski boat. And the difficulty, even under ideal conditions, when the water was calm and it was warm, uh, getting back in that boat was tremendously difficult. And it was also, um, you have the danger of the propeller, the boat. So many bad things can happen if you're suddenly in the water. And you're right, you can be so disoriented. And I can tell you, I was on a kayak, and I was pushing the limit a little bit, and I, I, all of a sudden the kayak just flipped. Here I am, if you can picture this, I'm underwater in about 10 feet of water looking up, still have my hat on and my rod in my hand and my sunglasses on. Now, I'd like to think I could have swam up, got out of there, got a hold of the kayak, but I don't know. But but before I could even think, my inflatable suspenders went up, and I came up like a bobber, and I was in no danger. I could assess the situation, retrieve the kayak, go back where I could recover, getting on board. You know, and my ego says, oh, I'd have been all right, but I'm not
2: so sure, Jim. Yeah, and, you know, thank goodness, you know, that you were able to have your life jacket on, and. You know, talking to people that have been involved in boat accidents this year, uh, they were really thankful uh, that they were able to be wearing their life jackets. And they did say that the accident happened quicker than they could uh, react and they didn't have, you know, the ability to put on a life jacket or the water was so cold that they were really thankful that they were wearing a life jacket. So your story uh, vibrates around the state for the people that have been in boat accidents and they have been wearing their life jacket.
0: Well, you know, when you talk about the cold water, I know we want to move on to a couple other topics here, and we will, but you talk about the water being cold. Now, the, the water in Colorado never gets like it does in some of the Midwest areas where it gets like bathwater. I guess maybe Jackson Lake and a few places, but for the most part, it can be on the cool side because there's water flowing down all the time. But the mountain lakes especially, some of those will never get warm to where you wouldn't have adversity from hypothermia if you fell in, don't they?
2: Yeah, I mean, right now we still have lakes that are still 45, 55 degree uh, water temperature, and, you know, hypothermia is a real thing. Um, We kind of go with the one plus one rule, uh, which is if you fall out of your boat in cold water, you typically will have one minute to get your breath under control. You'll have, uh, you know, 10 minutes uh, to actually, you know, get out of the water to get on your boat, and then you have one hour uh, for rescue. Uh, and that's, you know, an ideal water temperatures. Uh, if you're in 45 degree, 55 degree water, you know, you're talking about less than 10 minutes to do all that stuff before hypothermia actually sets in.
0: Yeah. And it, it's, uh, in fact, I, I'm not sure about water temperature, but I used to teach some survival courses and air temperature. We found most people ended up with hypothermia between 50 and 60 degrees, not 30 or 40. You know what I mean? So it and water transmits heat so quickly out of your body. But it really is something to be aware of. And just I think the message here is just put on a flotation device. They're comfortable. Something happens. It might be uh, an inconvenience and it might even be a laughing incident sometime down the road. But maybe it won't be a tragedy. Another thing that comes up this year is you guys now voting under the influence is always a big concern with parks and wildlife and all water um, people who manage water recreation, but you really make an extra push this time of the year with a, a program
2: called operation dry water. Don't you? Yeah, we do. So, uh, operation dry water is a year round, uh, awareness campaign about obviously boating under the influence. Uh, however, we are doing a heightened awareness and enforcement, uh, or th- over the 4th of July weekend, you know, unfortunately, uh, it's a very busy weekend for everybody involved. Um, And we just want to make sure that everybody has a safe, enjoyable time on the water or when they're camping and that they all go home at the end of the weekend safe and sound.
0: Well, a couple things, too, along with this. First of all, it's a crime just like driving a car to drive a boat under the influence, isn't it?
2: It is. It's uh, still the legal limit, like you're driving a car, so it's 008 um, the other thing that I do want to point out specifically about alcohol is alcohol is a leading uh, contributing factor in all recreational boating deaths and a major uh, you know, factor in incidents on the water. So that's why we're doing this uh, awareness campaign specifically over the weekend.
0: Well, I think another thing that people don't understand is that, you're out on the water in the hot sun, maybe not drinking other liquids. You're exposed to the elements. And then you've got everything's moving. The boat's moving. The water's moving. Alcohol can affect you a lot more quickly and a lot with a lot more effect than a lot of times sitting on shore or just being at home, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, it does. Uh, you know, all the wind, vibration, uh, it is uh, considerably more stress on the body, which uh, amplifies the effects of alcohol when you're on the boat.
0: Yeah, so you know, so even that couple of beverage you thought you were okay having uh, when you were sitting on land or at home, you know, your limits are going to be much different in the summer. And it gets hot out in the boat. You don't keep track. Um, have a designated driver for the boat, just like you would for your car, uh, and in whatever water recreation, no matter what you're doing, try to do it, you know, in a, a coherent state. I mean. Anytime you, you, know, you lessen your reaction, other you might fall in the water, even if you're not driving the boat. So just be sensible. I know a lot of parties, a lot of picnics on the 4th of July. We certainly don't want to put a damper on everything. We just want to make sure you have fun memories, not tragedies. Before we move on, any other comments on the
2: boating under the influence? You no, know, the other thing that I just want to tie or, you know, let people let your uh, listeners know about is, You know, if people are drinking on the boat, obviously they have to load the boat and they're driving through campgrounds or getting on the highways or county roads to go back to their house. So if they're not detected on the waterway, uh, they are getting on a roadway in a DUI. So if you do come across somebody that you think might be impaired or intoxicated, uh, please call your 911 if you feel that that is necessary or a park office or whatever and uh, we'll come out and just you know make sure that everybody is safe and enjoying uh, their weekend. Now the last thing I want to talk to you about are boating boat safety
0: equipment there's certain required equipment and there's a new rule on one piece of equipment that went into effect but first of all I've got a 19 foot boat with 175 horsepower motor what do I have to have on that boat what's required?
2: So the biggest thing is uh, life jackets. You know, we've been hitting on that a lot, but making sure that it's proper fitting, it's U.S. Coast Guard approved, uh, all the buckles uh, are strapped and they're working and that you don't have any tears or uh, rips in the flotation device, making sure that you have a sound producing device, making sure that your uh, vessel is registered, has CL numbers. If it's over 16 feet, making sure that you have a type 4 throwable, which is a square cushion. And then also, you know, depending if you have an outboard or inboard, uh, making sure your ventilation system works, uh, you probably have an outboard. And the other thing, too, is just making sure that you have a fire extinguisher uh, on board that is in good serviceable condition. Well,
0: the rules on the fire extinguisher kind of just changed, didn't they?
2: They did. Uh, So April of this year, uh, the United States Coast Guard uh, put in effect on federal waterways uh, that when a fire extinguisher is expired is at 12 years. So no matter if you've had the fire extinguisher for, thir- or t- for 13 years, uh, even if it's still in good condition, it still needs to be replaced. Um, the only exception to that is if you have a fire extinguisher that has been serviced every year and you have documentation with that fire extinguisher. So the biggest thing is just check your fire extinguisher every year, Uh, you know, check the dial, make sure it's in the green. And then also you can find the year where your fire extinguisher was manufactured is typically on the bottom of the bottle or next to the U.S. Coast Guard uh, approval number. And
0: I don't think people sometimes understand how dangerous fire on a boat can be. You know, they think they're in the water. But first of all, if your boat's on fire, you end up with no, it's hard to get away with some place to go. It can explode. It can be just extremely difficult to put out a fire because there's usually fuel involved. And having a fire extinguisher, I, you know, I even on smaller boats where I've had little outboards, I've always had a fire extinguisher because you've got gas and oil and batteries and things. And it, it happens more frequently than we'd like to like to think, doesn't it?
2: Uh, It does. Um, Unfortunately, it's, you know, a lot of that stuff is due to maintenance or something like that. You know, somebody using an automotive uh, part instead of a marine grade um, or, you know, fuel spills happen, uh, all that stuff. So making sure that you do have a fire extinguisher on board is super important. Making sure that it's next to you, uh, not in the engine compartment or hidden somewhere, making sure that it's nice and close to the operator if you do need that.
0: All right. Well,
2: I think we've covered things, Jim. And, you know, we
0: don't want to be alarmist. We don't want to dissuade people from being on the water. Colorado is a beautiful state to recreate in. We just want to make sure they do it safely and and have
2: a great time. Any last comments? No, we just like you said, we want everybody to come out. The water is a safe place. Uh, Just do it responsibly and safely. And we look forward to seeing you when you're out there. All right, my friend, as always, great information.
0: Good to have you on. We'll talk to you again very soon. Thank you. Take care. You had Jim Hawkins. He's with Colorado Parks and Wildlife. I know sometimes we sound preachy. We go over this stuff. Trust me, it's so easy to get lax in it. We all do. I've been guilty, and I've been fortunate. I try to follow all the rules and do things right because I know how quick things can happen. just want you to have a good time. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, Austin Parr is going to join us, and we're going to talk about some great fishing that's going on right here in Colorado on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 1600 ESPN. Dire Straits. Always a great, great band to listen to. Get your toe tapping wherever you listen. Let's go to the phones. Joining us, one of our favorite contributors. He's been with us for quite a while now, Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin.
3: Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for being on. I was just thinking, you know, you've been with the show. You're a regular contributor. And back when we were traveling more, you were a fill-in host. I don't even know how long. When did you start on the show? Do you remember? In a number of years. I couldn't tell you exactly though. We're both getting younger. That's the good thing. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of great fishing going on.
3: Man, June is just the the greatest month if you're a warm water angler in Colorado and even a trout angler in Colorado. There's just so many different opportunities and really a multi species set of opportunities right now too.
0: Why don't you start taking a Sioux, start with some of the metro area stuff? Yeah,
3: Chadfield has been absolutely spectacular, really the best numbers of fish that I've seen in uh, probably close to 10 years. Uh, right, right now, as far as on guide trips, we've been averaging 80 to 100 fish days very easily. Uh, there's still been a pretty significant uh, caronimid and small midge hatch out there, and those walleyes have been very keyed in on that. And uh, the, the leech and crawler bite has certainly been, been a lot better than some of the other presentations that i like a lot such as the blade baits or the jigging wraps or even throwing swim baits some of that is working well in certain areas but overall slip bobbers as well as things like a whistler jig a little propeller blade jig with a live leech on it on top of the structure out on main lake structure really has been worthwhile fish are piled up on there and uh, really the only limiting factor of catching fish is how much bait did you bring
0: you know, I, I want to make a quick comment before we move on or talk more about it. And they lowered the water in Chatfield this year before the shad hatched. And so yeah. we're not having a this year's shad hatch. Now, we may get one later in the year. Sometimes that'll happen. But right now, we're in a phenomenon where the walleyes are fat or they are they were fattened up. They're ready to go. Their metabolism is strong. But there isn't enough bait available. And that's, I think, the why they're focusing so hard on the bugs, but also why they're easier to catch. Don't you agree?
3: I would definitely agree. We're starting to see a few week and <laughs> overall that bite has still been productive, but not nearly as easy as that Chatfield bite has. And as you mentioned, uh, everything seems to be a little bit behind schedule right now. We're obviously getting back to, to hot over the last week or two here. But uh, we may still see that shad hatch. I certainly hope that we do uh, just for the sake of the lake. But for right now, uh, I definitely agree that, that the lack of bait fish in the lake has been driving that bite in a huge way. And the same thing goes with the smallmouth out there. Those those bass are out on some of those humps a little bit, and you'll catch a lot of little ones doing the same thing I've just mentioned. But there's also a lot of fish that are in that no-wake zone on the edge of the gravel pits, on the edge of the weed lines. There's walleye bass there, too. And then on the main dam face, a lot of folks have been having great success on smallmouth. The topwater bite is really starting out there right now. And with them being post-spawn, things like whopper poppers or choppos are about as easy as it gets where you can just reel it across the surface of the lake early in the morning. But one of my favorites is a Rebel Pop R, a good deep cup lip. Uh, those work extremely well uh, in the shallows in that early morning time frame. And as the sun comes up, switching over to a Senko or then even a a tube jig out off the edge of where the rocks meet the sand on the dam can be extremely effective for the bass.
0: Yeah, and the bass in other areas too, uh, ponds and other lakes, and we may touch on that later on. How different is Cherry Creek? You said the shad are showing up there. Is it more of a crankbait bite there then, or is it just hard to fish, or how is it fishing?
3: It's the very early stages of it. We're starting to see a few small guys. They're not significantly out there yet, um, and the fish aren't uh, heavily, heavily keyed in on it, but the blade bait bite has been better than the bait bite has been at Cherry Creek, uh, the exact opposite as as Chatfield. Now, the fish have still been up on top of the structure, but they're not quite as— Heavily concentrated, as you're finding on as on Chatfield. On Chatfield, I mean, they're so tight on some structure, you can just sit there for hours and catch 50 or 60 fish on one spot without even moving off spot anchor. But on Cherry Creek, uh, moving along structure points, pitching blade baits and jigging wraps to allow you to cover that water has been very good, and then if you're pulling bait, which has still been effective, uh, I've been having better success doing things like bottom bouncers or Lindy rigs and moving with my trolling motor on the slow troll uh, to cover that ground, and then adding the spinner blades to my rigs, whereas I've not been doing that as much on, on Chatfield, although it would still work. Uh, but those spinner blades seem to be making a difference on Cherry Creek when it comes to the walleyes on the bait presentations. But the whole key out there is just covering more ground and not setting up on one spot for too long, unless obviously you've found a grouping of fish that's that's a good strong group.
0: It sounds like Cherry Creek is more of a reaction bite, and Chatfield is still a feeding bite. Would you classify it that way?
3: I would definitely agree with that, and that usually is is what happens. Cherry Creek, with it being a little warmer, will get the shad to come out a little earlier than Chatfield will, and and, uh, it seems like that's, that's the case right now as well.
0: So what are you hearing on some of the mountain lakes? Bite has been picking up in a lot of different places up there.
3: Um, spinning has been, you know, pretty darn worthwhile. A lot of folks have been touching some big pike up there on on large jerk baits, about as big of jerk baits as you can get your hands on. The planer board bite really has been the the, the key up there. Uh, the the trout bite has been fair. Definitely doing better as the wind kicks up. Uh, if you have a flat calm day, it can be a little bit more challenging uh, rather than having that that wind blow. But then some of the light trout have been definitely productive. I've been hearing good things about Granby. The tube jig bite has been picking up for a lot of kind of uh, your your standard eater size fish some folks are still picking up some some bigger fish but that's not quite been as productive, but then on a bite that's kind of just a fun one to take the kids on. Uh, Georgetown, I've been hearing nothing but great success out there. Uh, some folks came in the store the other day and mentioned they were out in some float tubes, uh, casting tube jigs and working them high in the water column, as well as throwing small jerk baits, little sinking jerk baits like an HD trout were what they were using. But they said that the the bite was very productive, and that might be a, a nice spot to just go hit for an evening, um, or take the kids up and, and catch a bunch of fish.
0: What about? Uh, I'm going to circle back. You said about the bass bite. The bass should be getting almost into pre a uh, post spawn in most bodies of water, at least smaller ones. Although I was out a week ago and a lot of the big females were still had eggs. But it, yep. it, this should be a good time for uh, people who are fish from shore for smaller lakes and ponds. Uh, if you can deal with the weed growth that'll be showing up and it can be part of what your technique needs to be it should be a good time to chase some bass around the the local ponds and stuff i would think
1: i
3: would completely agree this time of year i really tell folks to focus in on top water early and late in the day as you mentioned the weed growth can be pretty substantial and being able to cast top water baits in and around that weed growth can keep you out of the weeds a little bit better now that's an early morning and late evening bite. It's all about the low light, but working a popper along the edge of the weeds, as I mentioned earlier, the whopper, poppers, and chopos. but then the small ponds that have aggressive weed growth, you can do quite well with frogs. A lot of times I prefer to downsize a little bit on my frog versus what you would think about uh, in a, a larger body of water in the Midwest or up in the North Country. But I'm going to go down to a smaller live target frog or a little booyah pad crasher and work those in the, the weeds. And that can be really good. And then as the sun comes up in the middle of the day, uh, the weed growth, as we mentioned there, that it can be an impediment for things like a uh, square bill or a lipless crank, something that we were doing better in the early time of the year. So I'll switch to a little Sanko. Uh, if I'm wacky rigging, I'll utilize a, a weedless extra wide gap hook Uh, But then you also can Texas rig those weightless. And if you uh, select the correct Senko that has a lot of salt that's heavy, uh, you can really get that to sink nicely. Uh, I like the Max Scent Generals as well as the uh, the Yamamoto original Senkos. But fishing those weightless and weedless around those weeds can truly be an effective pattern to catch a lot of really nice fish.
0: That's uh, one of my favorite, the Senko rig, Texas rigged, or just, you know, no weight, but with the hook. Uh, it buried in it so you can pull it through you know and that brings up a point you and I were talking earlier in the week about a friend of ours we won't mention his name but who's did a lot of walleye and trout fishing is getting more and more into bass fishing and he's been using his medium action spinning rods and I was out with him and I was using a combination of spinning rods and bait casters now a lot of people don't want to take the time to learn a bait caster but even on these ponds if you're going to go after the fish that are in that heavy cover, you can get those, but you really need to get something with some good backbone into it, and they make spinning rods like that now, and then you got to put the right line on it. Give us a few recommendations maybe on that those lines.
3: So when I'm fishing bass with a spinning rod, if I'm recommending it, I'm definitely into a medium-heavy, a 7-foot medium-heavy a lot of times is – the main target that I'm looking for. And I want something with a good fast or extra fast action tip to retain the heavy backbone in the middle of that rod to be able to get those fits out of that cover. And then on a spinning reel, you want to make sure you have a large enough reel to balance that heavier rod. So most likely a a 3000 or a 3500 size is the, the size I'm looking for. And then definitely a braided line option to a heavy fluorocarbon leader is usually what I recommend. So a 20-pound braid is a good middle ground for a spinning rod that allows for decent casting coming off of the stationary spool. And then I'm usually going to a a 15-pound or a 17-pound fluorocarbon on my leader. And that combination uh, will prevent and eliminate any of the backlashing that you'd have on the baitcaster but still have enough power to get out of that cover, get those fish out of that cover uh, that you a lot of times will will need. And and people say, why do you fish with such heavy line? Well, it's not because the fish is going to break my line. It's because he's going to maybe wrap me up in something and then get me caught up and break him. So that's where I'm, I'm really increasing my poundage when I'm bass fishing.
0: No, I couldn't agree more. It's exactly how I approach it. A couple more quick things. One is, what have you heard about the rivers up in the mountain areas? Are they waters high? Are they flowing? Are they fishable?
3: It depends upon the river that you go to. It seems like uh, you would think that runoff would be done, but there's been a lot of off-color water, and especially later in the day as the the sun gets up and gets some snow melt going on. uh, A lot of the, the fisheries get a little bit off color, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not good for fishing. You just change your presentation up with some big, heavy, dark stone flies, maybe with a San Juan worm trailer. And then your smaller bodies of water will retain some clarity in the right drainages. And this time of year, the dry dropper fishing can be absolutely spectacular A nice big attractor dry like a hopper or a yellow humpy trailed with a beadhead nymph like a copper john or uh, a caddis nymph like a bird's nest caddis can be really worthwhile. And fishing those uh, in the pocket water is going to be really productive throughout the whole summer. So it's something that I would be thinking about getting up and doing. And this time of year, I'm hitting a lot of the beaver ponds are some of my favorite times to hit that. But the big water still is fishable and will be clear really pretty darn good in the next couple of weeks, I would imagine.
0: Last thing, our next segment, we're going to go join Parks and Wildlife down at Pueblo Reservoir here on the radio about some special activities they have. What have you heard on the fishing down at Pueblo?
3: Fishing's been phenomenal. Uh,
0: if you're bass fishing, there's been tons of good action on Ned
3: rigs, topwaters, as well as Sankos up shallow. The walleye bite is really firing off. The bait bite's been good down there. Jigging a leech on a Whistler jig has been worthwhile. And then some blade baits have also been good. It's more snaggy down there, though, so you have to watch out for that. You might lose some lures. And then a few folks have uh, heard that uh, and seen some wipers start to boil on the west end. So that's definitely a a nice thing down there. And usually I would recommend with those sterile wipers, maybe keep a couple keeper walleyes and let those wipers go a lot of times is what I recommend. Uh, They're just such a phenomenal sport fish and a limited resource here in Colorado.
0: All right, my friend, if people want more information, how do they get a hold of you?
3: I'm at Discount Fishing Tackle. We're six blocks south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe.
0: All right, we will talk to you again soon. And we need to get on the water together.
3: Let's do it, Terry. We're getting to the end of the the good summer fight. Let's do
0: it. All right, thank you, my friend. We'll talk soon. Austin Parr, always a tremendous resource. And we are going to take a quick time out. And then we're going to head down to Pueblo where they're having some special activities both for you and your kids. Get involved, maybe even get you out fishing. Right here, that and so much more right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1600 ESPN. You're just a tear in my eyes. Each night I cry myself to sleep. You're just a memory of a love. Long- You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1600 ESPN, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. By the way, that bumper music was part of uh, Wickstrom and Dobrith's current EP that you can find on Spotify and Apple Music. It's called Loneliness and Love. Give it a listen. We appreciate it. But let's talk some outdoors. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from Pueblo uh, State Park is Elise Loke. Good morning, Elise.
4: Oh, good morning. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, thanks for coming on. I know you were online. You probably heard us talking about the fishing down in Pueblo. We do that off and on, and I hear it's phenomenal right now. But let's start out in case we have new listeners that don't know where Pueblo State Park is, kind of tell them where it's located and describe the park.
4: Yeah, so let's see here. We are just west of Pueblo proper and just south of um, Pueblo West, and so We're right off 4th Street um, if you're in Pueblo proper, and yeah, it's a really nice park. We have a really nice water feature. Um, The reservoir itself is really great for water sports and fishing, and we also have little ponds and stuff like that for kids uh, to fish in as well, and lots of hiking and biking trails.
0: Yeah, I think sometimes the trails get a a little overlooked, especially from us, because we talk so much about the water usage and other things like camping, which we'll get to here in a minute, but there really is, there's a large land area that goes with Pueblo State Park, and it does involve a lot of hiking, biking trails, and wildlife encounters, doesn't it?
4: Oh, yes, a lot. Yeah, I see prairie dogs all the time um, yipping, so that's always fun.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and it's a big land area, bigger than people think. You also have great camping there, don't you?
4: Oh, yeah. We have several camping sites. Um, We have Most of them are electric. There's only two that aren't, and two of them are open year-round.
0: And people can camp there. I imagine on weekends you probably need a reservation, or you need a reservation everywhere anymore, but probably a little tougher on weekends, and especially with 4th of July coming, but (laughs) it gets to be a busy place. And you also mentioned... Yeah, you also mentioned the water water sports. You know, we talk a lot of fishing here, but also the recreational boating. Pueblo is a large lake. How? What's the water light level right now? Do you know?
4: As of right now, the, we're sitting at about 4,870 feet, and um, the water flow from the reservoir into the Arkansas River is starting to slow down. And um, So the level of the Arkansas is getting pretty good for fly fishing right now.
0: And that's a great another resource below the dam there where that that's been improved and different regulations added. And that fishes all the way into Pueblo. Great for fly anglers or conventional anglers. It's got some special regulations, but be aware. But the lake is also great for recreational boaters, whether you're water skiing or wakeboarding or just cruising around and enjoying the lake. You have uh, great boating activity down there, too, don't you?
4: Oh, yes, and we also have, like, pontoon rentals available on our South Shore marina as well.
0: Now, you run uh, some programs uh, that are uh, kind of, you're, you're the naturalist down there, and you run some programs both for adults and for children. I want to start with one that you're kind of gearing up for adults. It's going to be July 9th, and it's called, it's like, catch clean and cook really kind of for new anglers tell me about it
4: yeah it's called uh, fish to table and it's part of my campfire program um, this one in particular will be held at the south shore marina here at lake pueblo and it's on sun or sorry saturday july 9th um and yeah as you said it's geared towards more adults or maybe even some families It will include a short fishing trip out on the lake by boat, and a local angler and charter fishing guide will be helping out with this. He'll also show us how to clean, dress, and cook the fish properly. So it'll be a lot of fun.
0: And that's July 9th and if and you may do this more than one time it's kind of a trial run if people wanted more information on that it would be the website for pueblo or the facebook or either one which is the best way to look
4: uh, the best place right now for these types of programs and events is going to be the lake pueblo state park facebook page there are events being posted on there so just keep an eye out on it
0: and this one program before we move on to another it's fish to table so you're going to try to go out and catch some fish, bring them in, show them how to clean them and prepare them and cook them. And, you know, that's a, a great traditional way. And it's aimed at new anglers, by the way. And that's a great way to get people involved because the traditional fishing was about harvesting for food. And so this kind of brings us back to the core of what fishing's about, doesn't it?
4: Exactly, yes.
0: And this this program uh, I don't know how much room you'll have. People can check it out on Facebook, and then if it's successful, I would, I would think you would like to do more of these. But let's move on to the kids. I'm a, I'm almost evangelistic when it comes to getting kids into the outdoors. Mm-hmm. I just think that it's so important to get them started young and appreciating the outdoors, or, or they don't go out. In fact, we just have a saying buy them a tackle box, not an Xbox, because once you get them outdoors, it's a lot easier to keep them there. Now, you run the Junior Ranger Program, and what age is that for?
4: Yeah, so these programs are geared more towards ages 6 through 12 years old, Um, and I have them every week on Fridays from 9 to 10 at the Visitor Center. They are completely free. Um, And like you said, the topics, Uh, can range from wildlife adaptation, fish casting competitions, freshwater invertebrates, and even archery. And whatever the topic may be for that week, they all involve learning about wildlife, natural resources, ecology, and stewardship in a very fun and exploratory way.
0: Now, are these programs aimed just at people who are camping there, or are you looking for day-use people to come in too?
4: Uh, Everybody is welcome. I highly recommend parents participate as well.
0: In fact, the only real cost is just to get into the park, right?
4: Yeah. um, Most of my junior ranger programs to try to keep it more accessible, I I actually hold them at the visitor center. And so for the visitor center to park there, that's free. Uh, Sometimes we will go into the park and that does require a park pass.
0: So some of these you don't even need a parks pass to take advantage of the program, and and I know one of them you've got coming up that I always think is great archery. I think that's coming up in just a couple weeks, in fact.
4: Oh yes, yeah. so it's very popular. It's, uh, archery Junior Ranger. It's it's called Rookie Archery. So it's a beginner Junior Ranger uh, archery program, and it will be on July fifteenth at the archery range uh, from nine to ten.
0: And what are just an example of a few other. Potential subjects that you might run on your junior ranger.
4: Yeah, so uh, we have a program coming up about beavers. I have some bug picking, so we learn about freshwater invertebrates. Um, Maybe even we'll go fishing out at the Anticline Pond, stuff like that.
0: All right, and again, finding more about these would be on uh, Facebook, the Pueblo State Park Facebook page.
4: Correct. All the details will be on there, and please register.
0: All right. Yeah, folks, you know, take a look at the Facebook page. You know, a number of our state parks have things like this, and you need to go explore those Facebook pages a little bit because Pueblo is one of the premier fishes and fisheries and state parks in the state, and all these activities, in addition to just boating and camping, get the kids involved. Sounds like great programs. Elise, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thank you for having me.
0: You bet. That's Elise Locke from uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife down at Pueblo, and you heard Austin tell us that Pueblo is on fire for fishing right now, whether you want to go after bass or walleyes, and there's catfish down there and wipers and even big trout, which get a little harder to catch down there as you get into the the summer months, but the tailwaters below Pueblo Reservoir, the Arkansas River, can be phenomenal year-round. It's one of my favorite fisheries, so You know, sometimes we get stuck in our ruts. We go to the same waters or we kind of keep track of the same place. You know, take some trips. We have 43, I believe, state parks in Colorado and a lot of wildlife areas. Explore a little bit. You might find one you like really a lot more. Tell you what, we're going to take a time out when we come back. Brad Peterson's going to join us, and we're going to talk about the Northeast Lakes, including Boyd and maybe Sterling and some of those, and maybe even all the way up to Glendo in Wyoming. We'll find out what the water levels and what the fishing are like on those. All that and more coming up on Terry Wicks Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on ESPN 1600. you're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Today on 1600 ESPN, we're normally on 9 to 11 on the fan and it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on the fan, but every now and then of half a dozen times a year we get we get switched over to our sister station ESPN 1600 here. We love our our love our folks at ESPN. Uh, either way, if you're hearing this show for the first time, join us at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors every Saturday from 9 to 11 on the fan and follow us on Facebook at Terry from Outdoors. Let's go to the phone and joining us. He's been a longtime contributor. He started with Ian Fisherman Group. He's a, a guide in both fishing and waterfall here. Brad Peterson from Brad Peterson Outdoors. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Terry. So I know you fish a lot in the Northeast region and I've heard mixed reviews out of the, all the way from Boyd up through Sterling and, it knows kind of fill us in what's going on?
1: Yeah it has been a, a year of kind of real uh, mixed mixed luck depending on what lake you're going to. So for a kind of a quick synopsis, um, that North Front range stuff, Union uh, and Boyd are both fishing good for walleye. Uh, Boyd's fishing good for bass along with horse tooth. and then as you start going out further to the northeast, uh, Jackson has been slow. Sterling has got just a ton of bait in it, which is making the fishing tough out there. Uh, Jumbo is missing or has real weak year class from about 12 to 18 inches. So there's some, still some big fish out there, but your number of eaters aren't there. If you're wanting to target a lake out that way, the one I'd recommend is Pruitt. It's often overlooked, but that's the one that's got the best bite going on right now.
0: And how would you approach Pruitt this time of the year? How would you fish it? Is it is it a bowl shaped lake? Does it have some structure? What kind of techniques would you suggest?
1: Yeah, you know, Pruitt does not have a lot of structure except a little deep area right out by the uh, the dam there. And with it being a no wake lake and as big as it is, it's it's kind of hard to run around. So I would really recommend people going up there and doing some sort of a a dragging or pulling presentation, whether you're you're kind of dragging bottom bouncers and spinner rigs or, uh, you know, trolling like uh, planer boards and crankbaits. Something to that effect that you're able to cover ground would probably be best. Me personally, I'd probably first start with uh, crankbaits and planer boards, run in the number fives or number sevens size you know shad wraps or crankbaits like that and i would be going a little bit more on the fast side kind of that two three up to two seven right now really to cover some water and get those reaction strikes figure out where those active schools of fish are and then you can concentrate on those areas a little bit more with other presentations
0: and when you head up to a lake like uh pruitt do you to have any particular recommendations on color or or you said speed. Is that important? And and once you do find those fish, are they
1: suspended
0: usually or can you catch them on the bottom? You know,
1: if I'm targeting the walleyes and say I've got two guys with me and we both got uh second rod stamps, so we're running four rods. I'm gonna run two pretty much tight to the bottom. One maybe uh two feet off the bottom, just a little bit off the bottom, and then one a little bit more suspended in the water column if I'm marking fish up that high. And color-wise, the, the colors I've had good luck with out there are kind of your silvers with some blue on them, and then your traditional, you know, your brighter uh, fire tiger type patterns always seem to do good out there. So I'm going to start with a few of the more shiny patterns and a few of the brighter ones and try to narrow it down as the day goes.
0: Now, what about other species? And I will get back to Boyd and maybe Glendo in a little while, but what about that northeast region? Sometimes there can be good crappie, there's catfish. Are you hearing anything about other species in those lakes?
1: Um, They are catching crappies out at Pruitt, and I've heard that the crappies out at uh, Jumbo are doing pretty good. I think the crappies are still going to be a challenge there at Sterling because of, just having so much forage in that lake that uh, it's making everything that's feeding on minnows a little more challenging to catch. And then the catfish, I haven't heard anything on any of them, but typically this time of year the bite really turns on on pretty much all of those, uh, you know, kind of more evening time uh, is when I'd go target those and using some sort of a bait that's got a lot of scent to it because some of those lakes can get, particularly thinking about Jackson, can get really um, muddy or stained water, and it's hard for the fish to see anything, so you need to really have that scent trail for those catfish to kind of follow, follow it up to find your bait.
0: Now, I know you spend a lot of time on Boyd, and you guide there quite a bit. Uh, Boyd kind of started different this year. Is it settling into its normal patterns? First, what's the water level, and how are you approaching it?
1: Well, Boyd did get some water. Uh, uh, Early in June, they were saying that they didn't expect it to get some water. But right now, it got about five and a half feet of water, so it's about 11 feet lower than normal. If people were out there last fall, it's about the same level as it was then. So it's made it a little bit different. Some of those big coves and areas like that don't have nearly as much water in them as normal. So if you're targeting the walleyes, I would say kind of target that 11 to 15 foot range right now, try to find the few weeds that are out there and fish kind of in the, on the outer edge of those, um, pull in some sort of live bait presentation, whether that's a, a jig and a twister with a piece of nightcrawler, a bottom bouncer and a spinner or a, a Lindy rig, something like that's doing pretty good on those walleyes and the bass bite. For the largemouth is really starting to pick up with that water level coming up. Those fish have pushed in to the shallows. There were some areas where some grass and other weeds were growing up where it was dry, and some of that has gotten flooded now. So there is some flooded vegetation. It's not real deep; it's only about you know two to three feet deep. But while the water level's still up there and pretty stationary, those fish have really moved up in there. So, it is a chance to get up there and, and kind of <clears throat> beat the shoreline, you know, make those casts up to, to visible cover and catch fish. And I was out there just yesterday and caught some with like chatter baits. I saw guys catching them on spinner baits up there. The water's a little stained. So, you can slow down and do some of your like uh, wacky rigged uh, stick worms or uh, a jig and pig type presentation. But you might have to just slow down a little bit more with the stained water, and and make a few more casts to cover all the spots because the visible area that those fish have or their strike zone isn't going to be nearly as big as normal, and that's the reason I think those like spinner baits, um, chatter baits are doing good. And something else I think that'd be worth trying is is your weedless frogs. You know, you can get back up in that cover a little further, and fish those pockets in real skinny water with those weedless frogs. And, and that's about as fun as you can get uh, as a way to catch a bass.
0: Oh, it really is. And most people miss the hook set on those because the water blows up, but it doesn't have it totally in its mouth yet. And they pull it away too soon. But the excitement of having that water blow up from a big bass and just like somebody flushed the toilet as the lure goes down is hard to beat. It's really a, a tremendous way to fish. Last area I want to ask you about, and that's uh, Glendo. I know you fish Glendo quite a bit. What's happening up there in Wyoming?
1: Glendo, the lake is starting to drop. Just like, you know, all the other lakes in, in this area with the farmers are, are needing water, so they're demanding water for irrigation, so the lakes are starting to go down. And so, Glendo's starting to drop. It never really got back up in the trees this year. It got right about at the edge of them. So, Those fish have been up in those weeds, some of the bigger fish, but as it's dropping, those fish are starting to pull off. So the bigger fish might be a little more challenging to find, but, man, those fish from 14 to 20 inches are just stacked on that main lake structure, whether it's the humps out there, the points um, in those areas. And anywhere from, you know, fairly shallow, 6 feet down to about 20 feet, depending on the day, and the uh the weather conditions but uh if you want to go up and catch numbers of real quality eater fish i tell you what Glenda would probably be the lake i'd recommend right now
0: and are you using bait on those jigs or are you tipping them with just soft plastics or what are you doing
1: you can do it both ways um, i usually do a lot with just soft plastics because i i prefer not having to constantly rebate But uh, if if you prefer just using bait, then that's a great option too. Just just go in there and uh, pitching jigs, plastics, or using bottom mounters to to drag bait along those areas. But really pay attention because oftentimes those fish are concentrated on one or two spots in a point. And if they're concentrated like that, I'm going to go to more of a, a jig slip bobber pattern to you know work those areas and, and keep on top of those fish if they're spread out more that's what i'm going to go to more of the the dragging the bottom bouncer type presentation so that my my lures getting in front of more fish
0: all right my friend if people want more information how do they find you
1: you can look me up on facebook at brad peterson outdoors or give me a call at 303-829-3998
0: All right, we will talk soon, and we should go fishing soon, too.
1: Let's do it, Terry.
0: All right, thanks, Brad. Brad Peterson, always a great resource. We're going to wrap things up here. A couple things I want to talk about real quick. First of all, Glendo. If you are headed up to Glendo, a great option is we transition to warmer weather more and more, especially of the larger fish, but even the smaller ones are going to suspend. Glendo has a good shad population those fish will start suspending over 50, 60 feet of water, maybe 20, depends on what's going on with the bait. And when you figure that out, especially get into the end of June and into July, it can be phenomenal. If you go to my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, we have uh, two videos just on how to catch those fish. One's early summer, one's later in July with myself and Gary Darling. So go to The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom and look at those Glendale videos You may find a tremendous way you can go harvest a bunch of walleyes later this summer. Remember, mark your calendars for July sixteenth. We're gonna be doing a twenty-five years of Terry Wisham outdoors at the Jacks in Loveland. And we're gonna try to make a nice little deal out of it. We want people to stop by, it's gonna go from nine to one want you to stop by and say hi, talk about your memories of the show, what you like, what you don't like. We'd love to meet you, and we're going to have a lot of stuff going on there. We'll tell you more over the next couple weeks. Also, follow us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. We'll post not only podcasts from this show, but we'll, po- we'll post a lot more information on what's coming up with that event. So follow us there. I want to say thanks to Jake. Thanks to Karen for keeping me online and on the air. Thanks to all of you for listening. We will let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour in sports on ESPN.